Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Welcome to the World Soccer Talk podcast. On this week's podcast, we dive into the all white controversy, we discuss the UEFA Nations League, and look ahead to the World Cup playoffs. Plus, we have questions from you, the listeners, in our mailbag segment. Uh, on this week's uh, podcast, we have uh, Kartik Krishnaya, and my name is Christopher Harris. Kartik, it's, um, it's an interesting week in many ways, too. So for a lot of soccer fans in the United States that uh, want to watch soccer, there is a ton to choose from. Every single day, there's a lot of uh, international games. There's the NWSL playing. Uh, MLS, for the most part, is taking a break. There are some uh, isolated games here and there. Um, and then you've got games from the CONCACAF Nations League, uh, uh, Africa Cup of Nations qualifiers. Uh, you've got some playoffs uh, in the World Cup, but you also have some playoffs in La Liga, going from the second division to the first division. There's plenty of games going on, and, and I would argue, Kartik, even though uh, the UEFA Nations League, just as one example, is not the end-all, be-all, um, I think in some ways, though, too, if this was a normal international break, we'd be bored stiff. But the way that the UEFA Nations League is set up, where you have like teams playing kind of on, on a similar level, so you have a... Italy playing Hungary, you've got an England playing Germany, so on and so forth. You've got France against Croatia, and you go down the list. Is um, For the most part, I think these games are more attractive than they would be a typical international break where it's just meaningless friendlies. Uh, I guess. I mean, the players don't seem as into it as they normally would be given the timing, and uh, uh, <laughs> a lot a lot of uh, uh, fans uh, of, of bigger countries, I should say, uh, like I, I know fans of Spain and Germany are not that into it. Although I think the way Germany is playing, in spite of them not maybe getting the results they've, they've deserved for their play in the first two Nations League games, maybe German fans would be excited at least about the product they're seeing under Hansi Flick. But yeah, I think the flip side of that, Chris, is this is a really exciting time. If you're a fan of Austria, if you're a fan of Hungary, if you're a fan of Denmark, you can get at um, in, in, in that Division A and Division B, you can get at the more established countries because uh, so many players aren't into it and maybe a lot of those uh, uh, nations' fan bases aren't as into it. So 
Um, it's kind of been a good week for, for second-tier countries in UEFA. Second-tier countries in UEFA, I would remind our listeners, are like top-tier countries in other confederations. Sorry, I know there seems, seems to be very fashionable on this side of the Atlantic to say uh, CONCACAF countries. I mean, uh, I, even the other day, someone told me Switzerland would finish fourth in CONCACAF qualifying, which you know, I just think is laughable. But um, uh, these are really high-end, good national teams, and they've been able to get at the established top six or seven national teams in Europe uh, because of the way this has been structured. So it's, it's been kind of fun. Yeah, it's one of those things that like usually when the season ends, like the European seasons end in, in the end of May after all of the, the cup finals and the Champions League final, there's a big drop off where it seems to be kind of basically two and a half months of just of boredom. But it, there's always something. There's always like managers getting sacked, players getting signed, um, schedules being released. I mean, every single summer, you know, clubs going on tour around the world. There's it's never that big of a big drop uh, drop off, but there is a drop drop off. However, this time I would argue there's been no drop off. It's been as soon as the the these seasons have ended, as soon as the Champions League uh, season final was ended, um, within a week you had friendlies and, and for the most part i would say yeah i agree with you i'm sure the players would rather be on vacation uh, i'm sure they're already making plans you mean in terms of uh going to the caribbean or wherever they're going they're, they're kind of making plans among themselves but i would argue though kartik that uh the fans are turning out i mean you look at the the stadiums uh whether it's in croatia whether it's in munich uh whether it's in france uh so on and so forth for the most part, I think all the games have, have been sold out, and, and, and the fans are into it. Uh, we know that it's not the most meaningful competition in the world by any means, but it's a great opportunity to actually see games in person. And for a lot of people, too, in terms of the pandemic, this has been a great way for them to kind of really kind of celebrate and, and actually go out there and watch soccer. And for me, the TV viewer, I mean, every single day there's a big game on FS1, for the most part, sometimes FS2 uh, and then Fubo and then even other options, uh, VIX also on the Spanish language side. Um, however, that's the part that I think people are angry about, Kartik, uh, more so about, uh, than the actual uh, whether the players are into it or not. W what's your take on, on, on that? What, what have you been hearing in terms of uh, on the Fox side, in terms of the, the feedback and, and what well, people I, are thinking? I personally have already given up on Fox, right? I, I'm not watching. I, you mentioned uh, FS1, FS2. I don't know what games are on there, honestly. I'm watching on VIX or on 2DNA. Uh, I've given up on Fox. Although I did watch a game uh, today on uh, on um, uh, on Tubi, so a Scotland-Armenia uh, match, which uh, uh, they didn't advertise on Tubi, but if you click on the Fox sports icon... Uh, on 2B, it went right to the game, and it was actually a pretty crisp broadcast. So uh, I, people are very unhappy about um, FS, uh, FS1, FS2, Fox, it, because ESPN offered everything on ESPN+. Plus. And they were they were generally showing uh, on, a match on ESPN2 uh, each day, or ESPNU, uh, it would go alternate between two and you, right? But uh, with a full pregame uh, show, K. Murray would host or whoever, and uh, you would get their announcers overlaying 
even if they were from the studio, you had some matches where you had Stu Robson come in and, and, and be the co-commentator. Craig Burley was the co-commentator for a bunch. You had the familiar champion Twelman pairing. Uh, you had some matches where Danny Higginbottom came in, Nations League matches, uh, to contribute. You're getting none of that with Fox. So not only are you having a hard time getting the games, but then they're not actually covering it properly or covering it seriously. And then the pay-per-view aspect through Fubo has really made people angry. Uh, so, so people are upset with Fox and disappointed point and they'll say oh what is Fox what do you expect um but then when you you bring up the pay-per-view thing they get mad and, and that seems to be the, the the takeaway well well that's the thing though too that I think that a lot of people are confused by because it, it's not pay-per-view so pay-per-view is you, if you want to watch a game if you want to watch uh, England against Germany uh, now if you want to go and watch a pay-per-view you can go through your satellite broadcaster or your TV provider your cable company and you can pay $25 to watch that one single game through on on pay-per-view and now it's not for every UEFA Nations League game it's about I think four to six games if you want to do that you can do that if you want to, if you're on a bar and you want to do a pay-per-view you can do that however I mean, so you, you mentioned in terms of uh, how things used to be with ESPN and ESPN2 and ESPN+. Plus. That's true, but the reality is, is that a lot of those games were also on ESPN3. So you had, I mean, some of the games on ESPN2, sometimes uh, ESPN News maybe now and again, but mostly ESPN2, and then a bunch on ESPN+, uh, Plus, but then also a bunch of them on, on ESPN3. In order to have ESPN3, you need a cab- cable subscription, so, uh, or, or a uh, TV streaming subscription where you're paying and, and it includes uh, ESPN um, as part of that bundle. So, I, I think for a lot of um, our listeners and a lot of people on social media, um, they think that a lot of these games on Fubo are pay per view. They, they're thinking that why should I pay? You mean seventy dollars a month for a subscription to watch this one game? When in reality, you're paying seventy dollars, but you're getting that's a, that's a replacement for cable or satellite, and you're getting over a hundred channels. You're getting over a hundred UEFA Nations League games. That doesn't include the Concacaf Nations League or all the other content and all the other games they have. So I, I think part of it too is is that pay per view, and I, and I've seen it too, Kartik. That a lot of people have been mentioning, like, ah, I hate that it's on pay per view. Well. Yes, some of the games are on pay-per-view, but if you want to get and watch those games, some of them are exclusive to Fubo on the English language side, and they have a seven-day free trial. So it's one of those things you could you know, watch it for free and then cancel within seven days, and you pay nothing. Pay-per-view, you're paying $25, whether it's a good game or a bad game. Um, yeah, I, I, I guess in theory that's true, but how many millions of people, how many millions and million, tens of millions of more people have access to ESPN3 than have access to Fubo, than pay for Fubo? I mean, let's be realistic about this. Um, that it, yeah, but 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 it's, if you're a cord cutter, do you have access to ESPN3? No, but you still have tens of millions of more people with access to ESPN3, Chris, than you do with people who have subscriptions to Fubo. That's just a fact. I mean, you, they've limited the, the exposure for the t- competition doing this. Right. Well, well, definitely, I agree with you there. They're definitely limiting the exposure and, and the reach for this competition. I, I think, if anything, really more so what the, the pain point is, is a lot of soccer fans who are used to watching a ton of games on ESPN+, Plus, uh, paying, what, $7 a month for access to those games and a whole bunch of other stuff. Um, and now that ESPN+, Plus part of it is gone because Fox has the rights. Not only does Fox have the rights... But they have the rights until 2028. That's the next six years of coverage. That's going to include the Euro 2024, Euro 2028, uh, the UEFA World Cup qualifiers. So they're going to qualify for future World Cups. 
2026 World Cup included. So I think that that's that's really the the, the thorn in the side is that Fox, because they don't have a really robust sports streaming service, OTT, they have 2B, which is mostly on-demand shows and, and movies, but they're starting to sprinkle in some live stuff on there, some live sports now and again, but it's, it's rare. Um, that's that's the issue. If if Fox had I don't know Fox Soccer Plus, which they used to in the in the in the in the past, but if they still had a service called Fox Soccer Plus and it was seven dollars a month, and it included all of the games that they don't have the bandwidth to show on television, I think I think we'd be okay. I think I think people wouldn't be complaining. But at the same time, Fox because they've only got limited channels. They got FS1, they got FS2, Fox Soccer Plus. And that's pretty much it in terms of for uh, daily soccer coverage. Now and again, you might get a game on Big Fox, but that's rare. But they have limited bandwidth. In in the course of, I think, uh, June 1st through June 15th, there's over 100 UEFA Nations League games. So you ha- there's no way you can put that on TV. So you have to put it on streaming. And because they don't have a robust streaming uh, platform... They had to go ahead and find a partner, and that partner was Fubo. And Fubo said, "Okay, we'll pay whatever you're asking for. We'll pay and, and get those rights, and then we will show those games exclusively, a select number of them. They show all of them except for the the 2B games, but uh, other than that, they do have some games exclusive to them. So I think I think it. I mean, it's it's, it's tough, right? Because if you're a, a soccer fan and and you're on a limited budget, and you don't want to spend seventy dollars a month." Then the question is, okay, do you subscribe to cable or do you have a satellite service? Is it better to go ahead and cut the cord, get rid of those and get Fubo for $70 a month? Or or if you're not in that situation, that, then, it, then it does get tricky. And I guess the, the other option is the Spanish language side, like you mentioned, Kartik, with VIX or Tuduene, albeit it's in Spanish. So, I mean, it, it, if you want to watch the games, there, there are options. Yeah, yeah, and I think VIX is actually uh, uh, not quite as dynamic as Prende TV was thus far. Uh, they, there's um, there's bandwidth issues sometimes where the streams become choppier, at least I've experienced this this week, as well as uh, issues with mirroring it from uh, my uh, – this is an Apple TV issue, so maybe it's, again, very niche, but mirroring it from my iOS device to Apple TV. Prende TV, you, there was a, you could just click within. Uh, and so everything that was on Prende TV, soccer-wise, has migrated now to VIX. And um, – so that's uh, uh, actually kind of a, 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 a it's 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 easier to have it in this one app, but then there's these kinks that I think will need to be worked out in time, uh, in terms of yeah. little little things with fix. Yeah, and it's little things, but also some and some things it's 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 bigger things. I think there was Austria Denmark game where the the game was uh, delayed be- because the lights went out, the power went out. And then I think about the 75th minute or so, the VIX broadcast stopped, yeah. and yeah. It, and it didn't show the rest the rest of the game. So, um, and I and I've experienced some of the kind of the choppiness too in terms of the video quality isn't the greatest. So, yeah, I think it's it's unfortunately, you I mean nothing's going to change here until 2028, which is a long time. If anything, I think it's UEFA, UEFA in terms of the decision making here. Um, Perhaps we're looking at the money coming in from Fox and what Fox was offering and didn't do their homework, uh, or maybe they just care about the money. Who, who, yeah, Fox, which, which is likely. Fox offered significantly more money than ESPN. I, I can tell you that for, based on my my sources. 
for this package. Right. So it, it's significant. It's something that would have been very difficult. It would have been very noble of them. We'll just put it that way if they had turned it down and stayed with ESPN. So uh, I understand why they made the decision. Now I think they need to push Fox to do a better job with this. And and maybe they will. Maybe Nations League, uh, especially this first round of Nations League matches, is, is a lesser priority. But as we get into Euro qualifying, which will start immediately after the World Cup, Euro 2024 World, uh, uh, Euro 2024 qualifying, I think that they'll push Fox uh, to do a better job. At least I hope they do. Yeah, I hope so too, because it has become very formulaic. It's one of those things you you could imagine. I mean, even if you know, even for those viewers who haven't watched any of the Fox broadcast, it, it's always the same. It's very light on analysis. It's um, you know, it, it's it's in terms of the, the pundits. It's the same pundits they almost always have on. Um, there's no surprises really. It, I mean, they're treating it like filler, and. Um, it's unfortunate, but but it is what it is. I mean, at this point, I've pretty much given up on Fox. I mean, I don't think they're they're going to change or get better uh, anytime soon. And um, what we're getting today is probably, for the most part, what we're going to get in the World Cup, which is so-so coverage, um, some pretty bad coverage now and again, some good stuff now and again too. But for the most part, it's um, they're focused on the viewing numbers. They're not focused on on the quality and raising the bar. Now. Kartik, speaking of raising the bar, uh, a big story that uh, came out last week about uh, Arla White, which we reported on and talked about on the podcast, was Arla White, his contract not being renewed at NBC Sports, and then NBC Sports deciding to go ahead and hire Peter Drury, arguably one of the best uh, soccer commentators in the world, to be the lead commentator for NBC Sports' coverage of the Premier League starting in August uh, this summer 2022. So, we didn't get a chance to get your take on this, Kartik, but um, before we go into the controversy, because the, the, this story reared its head again this week, uh, we'll get into that in a little bit. But I wanted to go through first and, and be fair, uh, because on this podcast, and we got a lot of crit- criticism for this, we, got, we, we lost some listeners. I'd say, how far back did you, would you say that we were... Uh, analyzing all the whites and, and getting critical where we were like, Kartik, you and I were kind of like giving up going like this, this is ridiculous. Like just the way he's commentating. It's just so infuriating. So it was either year four or year five of the Premier League on NBC. So they've had nine seasons. So it was, I want to say it was year, I want to say it was the 16, 17 season, uh, but it may have been the 17, 18 season, but it's been a while. Uh, that that uh, there's also been there was also the year that Clive Tilsley came in and did a few matches and uh, uh, we were impressed with uh, with co- the contrast there. You know, I, I felt like at times Steve Bauer went, uh, before he he got promoted at the BBC and we don't see him on NBC anymore. But uh, Steve Bauer, some of his calls maybe were were a little more to my liking. Um, obviously, Derek Ray has sat in at times. We know how good he is. So I, I think we began to make this critique year four or five of NBC. And we're now at the end of year nine. So that's how long uh, you and I have had some qualms about the way he's been presenting the Premier League in this country. Yeah, so it's, it's been about four to five years then. It's been a long time. I mean, it's uh, been a long haul. And and, that, and listeners too, I mean, you, you guys probably know, but Kartik and I have watched pretty much every single Premier League broadcast um, from 2013 with NBC Sports all the way through till now. So nine years, you mean, watching a ton of coverage, probably more than anyone in terms of, you mean, whether it's, uh, you mean, 
in any day of the week, watching it and analyzing it in many ways, but enjoying it for the most part. I mean, and it, it still is good. Um, however, this is a big story. And I think in many ways, too, because what we saw with Arlo was that actually what we saw when we like you said like when we had Clive Tilsley on the show um, on, on the the actual call in some of the games I think Derek Ray called some of the games too and you and I were like this is a breath of fresh air this is really really good and I think around about that time we, we did an interview with uh, NBC Sports's producer the top producer and I think in one of those questions I asked was about Arlo White and Clive Tilsley can we see Clive doing some more matches and the producer was pretty defensive and kind of adamant, like, no, Arlo White is the lead commentator for NBC Sports, and pretty much that's final. So, which we were a little bit surprised by. We're like, wow, okay, that's good to know. Uh, so you guys believe in him 100%. And he has been good in, in many ways, Kartik. I, th- I think, th- let's talk about the pros first. I, I wrote down a couple um, so, I, so I'd remember them. Uh, maybe you can uh, add some too if you have some. But I, I do think he helped establish a connection between the American audience and the Premier League games with a commentator that had a uniquely English accent but called games in a very American way. And uh, I got some criticism, I think, on social media about, like, when I wrote about that in the, the article I wrote about uh, Peter Drury replacing Ola White, and they were like, what does he mean by that? Even kind of the condescending, like, how, how dare he say that? And I, I don't mean that in, in any condescending or, or negative way. What I mean by that is that the, the, Amer- the American style of commentating is to talk a lot, is to have very few um, breaks of silence. It is very stat-driven. It's all about the numbers, but also about the storylines. So uh, starting this game, and and this is what's happening off the pitch. This is what happened, the build-up. And commentating the game in in almost a way as if the game is not even happening in front of you, which it is. And and you and I, Kartik, I I think probably about the four to five years ago, started almost like timing how much Arlo would spend on the opening monologue as a game would kick off. So a game would kick off at 12.30 Eastern Time on NBC Sports and some of he, he'd go on for about two minutes as the game's happening in front of you, and it's almost a goal scored, or there's some action on the pitch. Two minutes of this ramble, this this written monologue, before you would let Lee Dixon or Graham Lasso in. And after a while, this became really infuri- infuriating because it was like, hey, there's a game on here. Yeah, it became very annoying, and I I, I actually put a stopwatch to it a couple times, and and you know I would text you right away, hey, Chris. It was a minute and twenty nine seconds this time. It was the it was in, they were into the second minute of the match before uh, Lee got a word in or Graham got a word in. But I now realize the reason I laid off that maybe the last two seasons was I realized when he was doing it was when there were these twelve thirty Eastern time kickoffs on NBC, which had no pregame show, and the people had been gravitating from you. USA or, or uh, NBCSN, uh, where there had been a pregame show. So there were other people who were watching something else, and he was actually trying to do the, the presenter's job uh, before the commentary job, um, which, you know, maybe NBC has to consider moving that noon uh, uh, pregame show uh, to, uh, to, to NBC proper, Um I know they have an obligation to, for educational programming on Saturday mornings, but um, I, I, I actually now, even though I was very critical of Arlo White in the past about it, Chris, think it may have been because of that. Oh, yeah, for sure. Absolutely. No, you, you're 100% right there, Kartik. But I still think that instead of rambling for two minutes, you can still be a little bit more concise. 
and um, you mean choose your words more wisely, and then just not speak for two minutes, but basically maybe it's thirty seconds. Here's a, qu- a quick uh, update in terms of this game and, and what's on the line. Um, but yeah, for yeah, for sure. I mean, in some ways, um, NBC kind of let him down in terms of that, and maybe he was told, "Hey, give the background as soon as the game kicks off at twelve thirty. Uh, the other pro I would say about um, Arlo is that he's a likable person on camera. So he definitely has uh, a good presence on camera. Uh, I often liked him better as a pitch side presenter, more so than a commentator. I thought that was more of a natural fit for him, where he's talking to Graham, Graham Lasso and Lee Dixon and whoever the, the guest would be, whether it's a player. And, and that role, he seemed a lot more comfortable to me in the, than as a commentator. Kartik, any, any other pros that you can think of for Arlo? Yeah, I think at times he explained the history of certain clubs in the Premier League uh, and uh, and their their history uh, if they were newly promoted clubs or clubs that maybe the American audience was less familiar with. I think at certain times early in seasons after clubs were promoted, uh, he did a very good job of that um, in comparison to NBC Studio, which is a, a, a bugaboo for me still, the NBC Studio. Uh, and and uh, 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 canning all Arlo White or whatever they did, they didn't extend his contract, it does nothing to solve that issue. So I think he did do a fundamentally important educational piece for a lot of American audiences on some clubs. Um, but it, maybe, you know, for some of us, it was in too chatty... Uh, Kind of way that that obstru- that kind of took away from the commentary, the call of a match, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, and then as far as the cons go, um, some of the areas of improvement are some of the things that that uh, got on our nerves. Sometimes we've already mentioned that the very predictable style of commentary filled with stats and storylines, um, and 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 I think we've mentioned already the um, kind of that he was a better pitch side host than a commentator. Um, the way he commentated uh, soccer games was very much more of a radio style of commentary, uh, which is which which it was his background. He was a cricket announcer for the BBC Radio, and then got a gig as a, as a soccer commentator for Seattle Sounders, and then found his way to NBC where he was calling some MLS games, and then that gravitated into uh, becoming the uh, the Premier League, uh, uh, basically the lead commentator for the Premier League uh, on NBC Sports. But I think at the end of the day, I mean, it was um, I don't think he was the best in the business by any means. I think there were a lot of people that uh, maybe that was their first introduction to a commentator. That's somebody that they developed a relationship with through television and uh, with a a familiar voice. So I think for a lot of new fans um, that fit that mold. But um, but for me personally, I I think I was just getting tired of listening to him in the last couple of years. And we, we didn't really go into this a lot on the podcast because it, it seemed to be just excessive or it seemed to be we were getting a lot of criticism on social media for being too hard on, on Arlo. But for the last couple of years, I'll be honest with you, I often when, it was, when I knew it was going to be an Arlo White broadcast, I would try to figure out another way to listen to the commentary from a different broadcaster. So, for example, the last this past season, uh, NBC Sports has been doing a lot of uh, 4K broadcasts of Premier League games. So great, you I mean picture quality is fantastic, and it could be Liverpool against Man City, and it'd be Ola White and Graham Lasso and Lee Dixon. But instead, when it's an NBC Sports 4K production of the Premier League, they use the World Feed, and oftentimes that was Peter Drury, 
just by coincidence, and uh, Jim Beglin. So the two, uh, the, the number one commentator and co-commentator team on the World Feed. Um, and other times too, sometimes I would just listen to the radio. I'd, I'd be watching the game, put it on mute, listen to Talk Sport or BBC um, Radio, and then listen to the commentary and find the game to be more enjoyable. Um, Kartik, any any other cons that you can think of in terms of just uh, Arla White, the, the commentator? Um, in terms of his commentary, no. I think I think you pretty much covered it. I mean, I do think that uh, there was at a certain point of. Um, a a, uh, a sort of to- uh, topping off. There were people who were very familiar with him, very comfortable with him. Uh, he was their introduction to the Premier League, as you mentioned. I, I would say, may actually make the same uh, case uh, about Rebecca Lowe in the NBC studio. But then, um, as you're exposed to other things and other things kind of happen, uh, you you see you hear other voices. I, I think some of those attitudes softened in the last couple of years. So um, not only had we kind of laid off Arlo White on this show, but I think there were people who really liked him a few years ago who were like, eh, yeah, he's good, he's fine, but uh, he's not as, as good as we thought he was three or four years ago. And I would say that there's the same, same view of uh, people in the NBC studio as well. And that's nothing against Arlo White or Rebecca Lowe or any of the people we're talking I think when you get exposed to other voices, other presentation styles, other commentary styles, you have more kind of in, in the mix of what you're thinking about and your preferences kind of change. Yeah, one more thing on that too, Kartik, is that uh, NBC in general, NBC Sports and NBC is a very conservative company. And what I was hearing from a lot of people too is that they were getting upset with Ola White in terms of some of uh, the, the things he was saying either on social media um, they were political, and then also uh, on broadcasts where it was, I mean, in terms of the social consciousness and some of the things he was talking about where people felt uneasy with the things he was saying when he should have been really kind of focusing on the game itself rather than using it as a way to share his beliefs. So, so and, and again, too, I've heard that from several people, too, that that was something that... Uh, I'm not sure if NBC, in terms of my sources, I'm not sure if NBC Sports spoke to him about that. Um, but it was an issue that a lot of people, um, you know, we, we got a lot of feedback too from people, uh, whether through social media or emails, people saying similar things. Overall, though, I mean, it, it's been a it's been a crazy week. Um, earlier this week, Kartik, I think I said to you, like, I don't want to make this podcast about Ola White uh, because, you mean, He's he's moved on. I mean, we'll get into that in a minute. He's moved on, and Peter Drury is now the lead, and and that's the focus. Um, however, from a ton of different sources, um, I've been hearing a lot of things in terms of um, that the time had come uh, for Arlo um, not to have his contract renewed, that he became difficult to work with, and that he was making some really poor decisions behind the scenes that upset uh, NBC Sports and some of the executives there. Um, and rather than go into more detail than that, I'll, I'll leave that there because it, it, it really, at the end of the day, doesn't really have much to do with soccer, the sport. It's more in terms of talent and the relationship between uh, the talent and you mean the, the, the actual company. Now, Kartik, so like a week ago, I think, you mean, yeah, it was a week ago, we had uh, Felipe Cardenas on from The Athletic and both Felipe and I were talking about, hey, what's next for Ola White? And we spoke about the World Cup, possibly with Fox Sports. We talked about MLS in 2023, an opportunity there to maybe uh, latch on to one of the broadcasters. Uh, We also talked about Chicago Fire, doing some of the games there this summertime. And we were, you mean, 
looking at Arlo's future, thinking that timing was perfect. However, Kartik, fill people in on what happened this week if they missed it, but also what what, what the meaning is behind this, because I think a lot of people... Um, I didn't know what Live was, Live Golf, until earlier this week, and I had to do the research to find out about it. I'm not a golf person. I know, I know you are. But fill people in on, on what it is but and also what happened. Yeah, and ironically enough, as, as we're recording this podcast on a Wednesday night, I've got CNN on in the background, and they were about to talk about Live Golf on, you know, break up their coverage of, of political stuff and gun shootings uh, to talk about Live Golf. So this is how big a deal it is even in the United States. Live Golf... Uh, to, to make it really succinct and simple, is effectively the Super League breakaway uh, happening in golf. It's effectively the same thing the big clubs tried in Europe uh, 15 months ago in our sport, in golf. Except uh, with the added dimension that it's funded by the Saudis in a similar way, similar money coming through the Saudi Sovereign Wealth Fund into LIV that has been involved in the purchase of Newcastle, which we're going to get to in a minute because there's a, there's some synergy there. So um, effectively, Live Golf is a breakaway Super League type thing for golfers with a different format, uh, different competition format, everything. Uh, and the PG, PGA Tour and um, uh, uh, DW World Tour, which is the former PGA European Tour, they've taken a very strong stand against this. And this, in fact, uh, players that play in this uh, um, this breakaway uh, a rogue league, if you call it, want to call it, will be banned from international competitions uh, like the Ryder Cup and, and the President's Cup. Uh, there'll be ramifications for them, much like if you played in a rogue football league, right? If you left a, a sanctioned league and you played in a rogue league, you couldn't play internationally, which is... Something that came up here in this country when I worked with the NASL and the NASL lost its sanctioning. You remember all of that, Chris? And and you know I was yep. one of the first people who said we won't be able to sign players if they want to play for their national teams, right? And and that sort of thing. So that's happening in golf now. Um, now, but the, but, oh, but but the, the the story here though is, yeah, yeah, is that I'm all the white. Okay, go ahead. Yeah. <laughs> so okay. that's what's happening in golf now, and much uh, um, to to everyone's shock when they started to make these announcements at the beginning of the week about golfers who had resigned from the PGA Tour and uh, who were leaving the tour and, 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 and going rogue, it started with an announce, uh, announcement of the commentary team. And in fact, I had been joking for two weeks, uh, Chris, is the, are they going to have to re- reboot BN Out Q, right? Remember that uh, thing? Uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> the Saudi pirated thing? Because they don't have a TV deal. They didn't ha- hadn't announced any commentators. Uh, and I didn't think any golf commentator would want to go with this rogue group. So lo and behold, who did they get? Arlo White is their lead commentator, uh, which I think pretty much makes him radioactive uh, in the football world, other than maybe with Newcastle, um, and definitely makes him radioactive if he ever wanted to do golf again uh, outside of this. So that was quite the shock. The other real football element of this, Chris, I'm just going to interject this real quickly, and we'll get back to Arlo White, is how defensive... Because a number of the top golfers that have jumped to this rogue tour are, are British golfers, or, or either you know, uh, Graham McDowell from Northern Ireland or, or Ian Poulter, Lee Westwood, the, those sorts of guys. How uh, the only people defending those golfers in the UK are Newcastle fans. Um, which hmm. is something I and Barry Glendening got uh, got killed, you know, when he talked about how tone deaf these these guys were in their press conference. That people who came after Glendening on Twitter were all Newcastle fans. So it's something I've lived through with Man City fans being obstinate about UAE uh, as, uh, human rights abuses. So 
Um, Arlo White has now effectively aligned his professional career and his very public professional persona with the Saudis and with uh, this rogue breakaway uh, project, which I would liken to the Super League in 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 in, uh, in European football. And that's not something I think we all we thought that too, uh, Chris, a year ago. No major broadcaster. Uh, or uh, talent would want to call Super League games. Remember, we talked about that on this podcast. Uh, yep. And uh, in fact, I think it's the same thing here. So they couldn't get a golf commentator to do it, so they got Arlo White. And Arlo's never commentated golf before. Uh, but, but it's interesting too, Kartik, because one, a couple of the terms that are thrown out there by a lot of people uh, in regards to live golf and to uh, the Saudi, um, the, the Saudi Arabia uh, government, in terms of uh, th- this rogue league, is um, blood money, but also sport washing or sports washing, and it's just just a really strange decision by Arlo White to go ahead and become the league commentator to accept this position, no matter how much money they were offering. To me, it's very difficult. I mean, this could be something that it could be the end of his career in terms of soccer or with with a big major broadcaster. And I have to I have to point this out now. Um, there were a number of people who are supporters of other uh, Premier League clubs who played Newcastle this season when Arlo White called games for NBC. Um, uh, of Spurs fans, and, and there was another Newcastle game, it may have been Arsenal fans, who pointed out, why isn't he talking about Newcastle's ownership? And I defended him, actually, those people. I said, look, I mean, I, I get, I, I think it's a tired trope when, uh, as a Man City fan, I went through it, and I, my fandom predates uh, this this ownership takeover by uh, a couple decades. You know, quite frankly, if they'd been owned by Abu Dhabi when I became a football fan, I wouldn't have been a Man City fan. I'm being honest about that. So I would have supported someone else. So, um, I, I, I'm sensitive to it, and I and I'm, uh, I understand those criticisms. But I thought, okay, he just doesn't want to talk about it. People know about it. The NBC audience doesn't need to hear every every 45 minutes. You know, once every 45 minutes, the Saudis have bought this team. They're pumping all this money in Khashoggi, blood money, human rights violations. They don't need to hear that stuff. But now, in hindsight, Chris, I'm thinking maybe he pulled his punch because this was on the table potentially for him. Who knows? Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. 
Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Yeah, and this must have been a deal that's been been worked on for quite some time, um, the timing of this. So I wonder in terms of... Um, if NBC Sports knew quite a while ago that uh, Ola White wasn't going to be, uh, his contract was not going to be renewed, and then Ola was then looking for opportunities. But yeah, I think it, I mean, of, often in this podcast so far, we've talked about Ola White in the past tense, um, and I think that relates to soccer. It's, it's, I would find it very difficult to think of a US broadcaster that would decide to go ahead and use Arlo White, given given this incident this week in terms of attaching himself to this very controversial tournament. Um, I'm sure the money's good, but sometimes you have to make the right decision. And, and, and it seems like a really strange decision based on the persona that he's created. And, and, and the. I, th- I think in many ways, a lot of fans probably think this is very hypocr- hypocritical of him uh, and have lost faith in him based on this one decision. It just I don't know who was um, who's who's his agent was or who was going to give him advice. It just seems like a really bad decision on Arlo's part, and effectively, it could it could hurt him uh, long term. All right, Kartik. So let's look at something more rosier, <laughs> and that's uh, matches to watch this weekend before we talk about the TV streaming news. Uh, and we've got some some big news coming soon here. But um, what game are you looking forward to watching this weekend? Well, I I, uh, I know what you've opted for. I've opted for the other game in the same group. So I'm going Germany Hungary. Saturday, uh, 2.45 p.m., uh, I'll be watching it on VIX. Uh, I think uh, Germany has looked really good, really impressive. And I actually have people who follow football uh, as closely as you and I do telling me, you know what, if Germany can figure out a way to to, to solve their problems with a number nine, maybe it's not Havertz. Maybe Marco Royce has to be reintegrated or you know, some sort of false nine option. They could win this World Cup. They're playing that well, which is a far cry from where they were a year ago, which was it felt like rock bottom for Germany in the last... Last 50 years against a Hungary team that I think is pretty good has shown us in the Euros yep. and shown us this week uh, even without uh, oh yeah they did win a game right they beat England uh, they've shown us that they're really good and against Germany in the Euros a year ago they were unlucky to draw they should have won that game they should have been the team that advanced uh, instead of Germany that day out of that group so I, I think this is a great match up and then we also know a year ago there was all this controversy politics got interjected into that match um, and so that that's another added element of it uh, for me. Yeah, and for me, uh, my game to, I'm recommending is uh, England against Italy, a uh, rematch of the Euro 2020 final. This one is on Saturday, 2.45 Eastern time. I'm going to w- be watching this one on Fubo TV. And uh, yeah, I mean, we'll, we'll get in, into England in a little bit. But Kartik, let's move on to uh, TV streaming news. And uh, not a lot of news this week, but there, there is uh, a big news item for fans of 
you know, basically people interested in the World Cup. Yeah, so Australia beat UAE. Uh, thank you, Paramount Plus, for bringing us that game. That was actually a, a pleasant surprise. We haven't always been able to watch those matches in the U.S., Asian playoff matches. So uh, uh, Australia beat UAE. They didn't look very good in the process, in my opinion. Uh, but they are going to play P- Peru uh, on uh, Monday. Now, I believe uh, it is still. it will definitely be Peru, right? We There's yeah. there's issues in Condoball right now. Um uh, and we're not going to get into that, but just look it up. Um, it'll be Peru. Uh, the the Ecuador situation doesn't impact this. And Costa Rica is going to take on New Zealand in the other intercontinental playoffs. Uh, on uh, And those will not only be on uh, uh, the Peru game will be on FS1, Costa Rica game on FS2, but both matches will air on Telemundo and Universo also. Um, those matches are taking place in Qatar, by the way. So it's a, it's a warm-up for the World Cup, right? Operationally, they didn't have the Confederations Cup this time to, to warm up the stadiums and do the operations, but they do have um, uh, these warm-up matches. Yeah, yeah, and it's a one-off match. It's uh, Both of these games start at 2 p.m. Eastern time. It's huge. I mean, Peru has a massive fan base uh, in the United States and, and around the world, of course. Uh, Australia... It didn't look the greatest against uh, UAE, but uh, I mean, it's just one game. It's it's a it's a knockout game. Whoever wins goes through. Same thing with Costa Rica against New Zealand. You would imagine that Costa Rica should be good enough to to get through, but you never know. And it, this means so much to all of those countries, and um, I mean, the people that live uh, live in those countries too, of course. All right, Kartik, we've got a new segment here. This is called Question Time. Uh, in the uh, questions about world soccer and something to ask you about and get your opinion uh the first question is something i hope you can answer this one but i and i understand we're still in june um, i understand we're uh, what five months away or so from from the world cup long way to go but with the timing of of the schedules the way they're working out so we're in june this uefa nations league games uh then there's a bit of a break in july uh, but before you know it, the season start again in Europe in early August, some some in late July. But with the timing of the World Cup being scheduled in November, do you think we can expect to see an improved level of play in the tournament, given that the European leagues will be almost at their halfway point? Um, yes. So this was always a theory about uh, how well the U.S. did in terms of fitness issues in World Cups in the past, in, in, in 2002, 2006. Well, 2006 didn't do so well, but I, I think that they were fairly fit. 2010 um, was this theory that, uh, because MLS operated on a different calendar, that that uh, a lot of American players were in mid-season. I think 2014 is more applicable. Actually, 2010, there were very few uh, MLS players on that U.S. team. I think there were only three or four, actually. The rest of the team played in Europe. So, um I do think it will improve their fitness, but I think it will also, the, the, the condensed nature of it will probably have a terrible impact on the second half of the European season. So there, there are trade-offs with all this. Okay, so maybe we have an improved quality of a World Cup, but we have a lesser European season that comes after it, which uh, is something that's uh, un- uh, really unfortunate. Now, the other, th- other aspect of this might be, Chris, do we have guys that aren't necessarily um, playing as hard in the first, in August, September, October, uh, in the club mm-hmm. seasons? Because they're trying to avoid injuries. We know so many guys have missed World Cups in the past and Euros in the past because of injuries um, 
in, in terms of uh, injuries in May. Michael Bollock missed the World Cup, right, because he had an injury in the F- horrible injury in the FA Cup final, which would have been the last match for him before Germany went to the World Cup, whatever year that was, 2010, I think. Um, so do we do we see guys? Um, I, 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 it'll be interesting to see how people treat fitness because there's been so much talk this week, uh, near and dear to your heart, about Gareth Bale. And uh, I, I uh, wonder how Bale, who is uh, not a fit player right now, uh, has not played many minutes of football, either for club or country, in the last uh, nine months, how he handles fitness. If he goes and signs a contract where he is going to play 90 minutes a match somewhere, will he break down? So that's that's a concern I have. I do. It's going to be different either way. And speaking of Wales, too, definitely a big game uh, this past weekend. Uh, I was... I- pleased extremely pleased this is the first time in my lifetime that my uh, birth country wales have qualified for a world cup and uh you know i lived in wales until i was 14 and then moved to the united states and lived here ever since but i still have family over there i uh, still go over the, over there quite often and uh, still support my my local team swansea city but kartik I mean, and again, this is we're still six months away, roughly, or five months away from the World Cup. Anything can happen between now and then. But looking at those that Group B in the in the World Cup, we now know who those teams are going to be. So we now know, of course, it's England, uh, the United States, Iran, and Wales. Out of those four teams, like right now, if you had to kind of basically say today, based on where they are, which of those teams are advancing uh, to the knockout stage? I think it probably comes down to that first match between uh, England and uh, between the U.S. and Wales. Um, you know, Iran. Uh, I, I don't know. I, I, I. It seems like Iran to me. Again, I don't watch them regularly. On paper, they don't look as strong as they did four years ago. Four years ago, they were very good in that World Cup. Very unlucky not to get out of the group. They were in a tough group, also. Uh, I. They've apparently dropped off just on paper. But then there are people who watch Asia who tell me defensively they're better than they've been in the past. Um, in terms of Wales, I, I would give Wales a slight edge over the United States in terms of getting out. I think when you have. Um, a player of Gareth Bale's pedigree and Aaron Ramsey's pedigree. The U.S. has a lot of talented players, but they're young, right? They're not really guys who have been forced to be match winners for the clubs they're at. They're not guys who forced... I mean, there was there was a period of time... Uh, this may be in ancient history now, Chris, but there was a period of time where Aaron Ramsey, who's not a goal scorer, would score in every big game for Arsenal. Do you remember that stretch? Um, yep, yep. They played United or they played Chelsea or they played Man City. He'd get a goal. Um, and so they've got two really experienced guys there that have been match winners. Gareth Bale has... Um, I think he's on the all-time leaders for lists in your, uh, of goals in European finals, uh, actually, Champions League finals. Uh, the U.S. has probably more talent, but a lot of those guys are guys that are young, that they've never been in a position for club or country where they have to carry them, with the exception of possible exception of Christian Pulisic, who has had to carry the U.S. men's national team for a long time because they, they haven't had um, comparable talent around him. I, I do want to point out one thing. Uh, that I've been pointing out on Twitter and people have been ignoring uh, about Wales is I think Wales have three really good young players I like a lot. Brennan Johnson, I think people are beginning to learn about uh, from Nottingham Forest. I would say he was arguably the best player in the championship this season. 
Um, I like Sorba Thomas a lot, who's a young player at Huddersfield, who's worked his way through the divisions. Uh, he's a little older. He's 23 or 24, but he's a young player in terms of internationals. And uh, Rabbi Matundo is a player that was highly rated a few years ago when he went to Schalke, was pretty good his first year in the Bundesliga, then dropped off. Uh, I, I like him. I actually think he played well again today, Chris, as we record this. Yep. Came on late uh, for... Uh, uh, for uh, for uh, Dan James, Wales. yeah, for Dan James, yep. and and played really well. So I give Wales a slight edge. I know that's a long explanation. Uh, so Wales and you, uh, sorry, Wales and England. England would win the group, and Wales would um, just edge out the U.S. for second. That can change, and I'll tell you why that can change, Chris. If if uh, Gio Reyna is actually fit, the U.S. could actually win the group. He's the U.S.'s best player, but I don't. I, I just don't he, – he's had too many fitness issues in the last year to count on him. If he's fit, I yeah. think the U.S. have a chance to beat England. Uh, if he's not fit, I think the U.S. Are, are, are maybe third in the group. That's how important that guy is. Yeah, in terms of the way the schedule works out, though, too, I think that is key. I mean, you have uh, England's first game is, is against uh, – actually, it's against uh, Iran, I believe it is. Um, and then England plays um, – the United States, and then England plays Wales in that last game. Uh, USA has um, Wales in that first game. Uh, then, then it gets then it gets tough. I mean, then it's uh, then it's England in the second game and Iran in the third game. Uh, and then Wales. I mean, yeah, so, so I think a lot of it in terms on that first game. I think you're absolutely right, Kartik. Uh, for all those countries, it's going to be close. But that first game is most important for all of those to get out of that group. All right, let's move on to the listener mailbag. We didn't get time to go through everything last week, so we're gonna we saved some for this week. Uh, in regards to our discussion about Apple TV Plus and MLS and where that stood, Dave says you touch a bit on Soccer United marketing and the U.S. Soccer Federation. I have been happy to see USSF focusing more on what is best for soccer in the U.S., while MLS focuses on what is best for MLS shareholders. Separating USSF rights from MLS and Soccer United marketing is a good step. I hope to see continued sharpening of focus and minimization of misaligned incentives, conflict of interest, uh, opacity, etc. And I think we both agree on that. Ra says, uh, the challenge MLS faces is that their potential fan base needs to be cosmopolitan enough to care about soccer and non-cosmopolitan enough to prefer to not prefer the big European leagues. It makes more sense to tune into NFL or NBA if you're looking for an authentic American sports atmosphere. Why would anyone outside of the cities that have an MLS team uh, care about it? The, the TV ratings show it clearly... Uh, that is not that is not the case. I can speak for myself. I am more likely to watch a soccer match in Europe than in the U.S. When traveling in in the U.S., I prefer to go to the ballpark, hockey, NFL, or NBA. Next up is uh, Disco George. Disco George says, I just finished the pod uh, recently and came here to make the same point about American attitudes about owners. Uh, team owners can pick up and relocate their teams at any given moment. It's happened over and over when an, an owner uh, decides a particular market is no longer des- desirable. As our friends in the Columbus can surely attest, it may not be an entirely healthy attitude, but it's, all, but it's not there uh, just because of uh, it's not there because all Americans um, worship rich people or something weird like that. In my opinion, it's a little bit uh, disingenuous or cartic to say that all MLS fans don't care about empty lower league stadiums all over the country. Many of us, at least 
of my certain age have had multiple teams come and go in individual markets over our lifetimes. Uh, nobody's out there um, dancing on the graves of defunct clubs. We're still insecure and worried that it's going to happen again. A lot of the issues around soccer in the U.S. revolve around the fact that the domestic game still feels really economically insecure. The pay-to-play, not just play, but uh, have new customized jackets and bags and go to 87 out-of-town tournaments and do college camps, etc., system is probably a bigger issue long-term than pro-rel in the professional ranks, but it's also harder to argue about that on the internet. So we are here talking about promotion relegation every freaking week. Yeah, there are, there are a lot of... Uh, I, I, yeah, I, I'm kind of sick of the pro-rel discussion also. I mean, I'm, I'm obviously on one side of the discussion, but think that the there are zealots on our side of the discussion that don't get it right and don't and and don't understand uh that you have to be that there are incremental things that have to happen and that there are numerous other issues in american soccer i i've mentioned over and over again and gotten canceled if you want to use that term by a lot of pro rel people uh, including the grand poobah as he styles himself uh ted westerveld um hey kartik I, I've got a, qu- a question for you, though, based on promotion and relegation. Yeah. <laughs> Not to go down that path, but I am going that down that path. Do you think there's any possibility that maybe the pro-rel side should be uh, that USL could be the solution to that? Or is the USL in the same bucket as MLS? Well, where? Well, OK, so this is this is where I, I, I guess I was kind of going there with this discussion anyway. Um, USL very well might do pro-rel. But there is a, a contingent of pro-rel supporters, and mo- I would say the most vocal ones, that say, well, if there's no pro-rel in the first division or there are uh, wealthy teams outside of a pro-rel system, um, then it's not really pro-rel. Who cares if you have pro-rel that doesn't link the whole system? Well, I think it's kind of impossible now, unfortunately, with the way MLS is set up to link the whole system. Um, my point is that I would say over and over again, I'm a reformer. There are about 90 uh, things that are wrong with American soccer. Not having promotion and relegation is one of them. And I think you solve maybe five or six of the other issues if you do have an open system and you have pro-rel. But then as Disco George, as she mentions, you've got tons of other issues. Uh, pay-to-play being at the forefront of it. I think uh, uh, that's uh, that's the root cause of a lot of a lot of the things. And, and by the way, uh, she's right. I shouldn't have said all MLS fans if I said that. Uh, many MLS fans. And it's mostly younger ones. So she's right about that. Uh, people of a certain generation, um, like I've seen five or six clubs come and go in my, uh, that I've supported. Same with you, Chris. So we, we understand that. But it's younger MS, MLS fans. A lot of them are fans of expansion teams or recent and expansion teams who have this attitude about uh, USL and uh, NISA and other leagues that um, and, and, and are very kind of condescending about it. Now, um, I have to say this might be an American thing because I get the same thing from American Premier League fans who are like, well, why did you sit and watch Huddersfield play? I mean, that's not, you know, that's stupid. Um, so I think Americans have a, a thing about like major leagues versus minor leagues also. That might be part of it. Next up is uh, John Ketchum. John says, uh, great part as usual. We've been talking about the MLS TV deal for so long. And what I'd love to know is what's the status of the EFL, the championship deal, hopefully with ESPN+. Also, is there any interest in the media world in an English language Liga MX package? Sadly, I don't have a talent for languages and the excitement of the broadcast is literally lost in translation for me. 
So the EFL, the championship rights, which also includes um, FA Cup um, and FA Community Shield, uh, so that one has not been resolved yet. And, and uh, we've still got some time to uh, find a broadcaster for that. Hopefully ESPN will renew that deal. But uh, I mean, there's always an opportunity for somebody else to come in on that one. Um, there is some English language coverage of Liga MX, but it's very, um, for basically an English word, it's very spotty. So basically, I mean, so Fox has some of the rights, English language rights to some of the games, but they don't really communicate or really get the word out there uh, until the last minute, which games those are going to be on FS2 or wherever. Uh, Tudo NA, also known as Univision, has a lot of the the rights in English uh, to to the clubs, and oftentimes not as much anymore. But they, oftentimes they'll have some broadcasts in English language on Tudo NA Extra, I believe. At least they used to. Um, but yeah, I don't think we're there yet because I think it, there is some interest in Liga MX from the English language side, but it's, it has not been marketed very well. And I think. Part of this, too, is that you have so many broadcasters broadcasting the league. It's not like with NBC, where there's only one rights holder to the Premier League in the United States. Uh, For Liga MX, you've got everything from uh, so the Univision family of broadcasters. You've got Telemundo that has rights to the Chivas games. You've got Fox that has rights to um, about three, three of the teams. And then you've got ESPN Deportes that shows some of the games. So it's very much like MLS. The rights are all over the place, and it is confusing. But yeah, John, we're not we're not there yet. Uh, moving on to talk about football commentators, uh, Mercator says UK media are absolutely not fair or balanced when it comes to the French. Sky have done a full 180 from those terrible scousers booing the Queen to those terrible French uh, pepper-spraying English children. But the French are an absolute mess and have been for a while now. Check out the uh, Saint-Étienne fans rushing the field after they got relegated. It's a riot. It's happened several times this year at Saint-Étienne and Marseille. It's not. It's just not a country that is capable of, of effectively dealing with riots. It never has been. JP says, in regards to commentary style, I like the middle ground. The British style we get on Champions League uh, can be boring, but the Spanish language style can sometimes feel like too much and clownish at times. Have a few favorites over the years from Serie R World Feed, who I think thread the needle between seriousness and fun perfectly. Uh, Richard Whittle, Marco Palameri, and Sheridan Bird uh, was another one. He was more serious, but his commentary also included some dry and sarcastic uh, wit that wasn't condescending towards the, the match, uh, fun in a different way. Uh, and then moving on, Mark Thomas says, Hey, great show, and I have not missed one episode in a long while. Have you ever thought about expanding expanding to UK television to increase listeners in the UK? Uh, there's a there's a lot of uh, soccer on Sky and BT, but is, is that worth a shout? So I think Mark is recommending Kartik that you and I start uh, basically analyzing and talking about UK media coverage of soccer. Uh, what do you say? Uh, I I spend a lot of my time uh, watching the UK media cover the sport uh, anyway, so it would be kind of natural. But I I'm I'm not sure the American audience can relate to it, right? They don't they don't watch Sky like we do, like you and I do. And and uh, I I'm on Talk Sport a lot, so I end up listening to Talk Sport a lot also, which I think you do, Chris too. You listen to all the Talk Sport a fair amount, so <laughs> I, I mean I could analyze that stuff. 
mean, I was. We, we could, we could, we could definitely. I, I was I think listening to White and Jordan this morning, so uh, <laughs> I mean, I, I oh could, gosh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, we could do a whole podcast on that. Um, may- maybe in the future, Mark. Who knows? Maybe if we get a uh, a UK sponsor. Uh, two more comments to go. DJ Juice uh, Deuce says, uh, "This is going to be a weird one out of the blue for you guys for the podcast." But as you can tell uh, from the whole anime demeanor that I have as my avatar, any soccer anime that you guys would watch or recommend, uh, Captain Subasa is a good one. Now. Kartik, I'm not sure about you, but in my household, we have Crunchyroll. And from time to time, you mean, I'll sit with my, my kids and watch it. Um, there's a ton of soccer stuff on there. There's a ton of soccer anime uh, shows on there. I've, I haven't watched any. Um, I'm usually too busy watching soccer, soccer. But uh, what about you, Kartik? Any anime going on at the uh, Krishnaya household? No, no. My, uh, none. I mean, the only thing that I watch that's animated actually is uh, some of the TIFO football, which are now the athletic, right? Uh, TIFO football features on uh, YouTube, which I know is not what uh, DJ Deuce is talking about. But uh, that's animated. Uh, so uh, th- those are kind so of... I- I, I was picturing that the, the Krishnaya household has been more like Masterpiece Theater yeah. on Sunday nights. Yeah, yeah, yeah. My, and particularly my wife, uh, she watches all the uh, – all. Um, I mean, she has BritBox for a reason, and then Sunday night she's watching PBS. Yes, that's correct. That's correct. Ah, okay. That's a wild guess, and, and I was right on that one. All right. Last but not least, Jason says, I think for this podcast, it's worth talking about just how angry the fandom is as Fox um, – with all the coverage uh, in all all of the facets not not disappointment but downright anger and hostility and is and it is well deserved so we we just uh, we've done so many podcasts criticizing fox and actually analyzing fox more so but then uh, saying okay here's all the things they're doing wrong they're not listening i mean and and that's the thing so it's not just us but it's in terms of their viewership uh, and the people watching the games i think i think a lot of us now have become accustomed to if a game's on Fox, we'll tune in as soon as the game starts, and as soon as the game's over, we're gone. There's no, there's no benefit of tuning in for the pre-match, halftime, or post-match. You may as well, I mean, switch on Talk Sport Radio or, or, or do something different because th- there's no, there's no value. Yeah, and, I, and uh, the U.S. Uruguay game uh, on Sunday, I gave it a shot on Fox for about three minutes, and I switched to 2DNA. I mean, it's 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 just at that point. And so for someone like me, there's no point in complaining about it. I mean, I've had my DMs on Twitter filled up this week with people complaining about the Nations League and Fox's coverage. And it's just like we led the show off with that. It's just it's the same thing. They're clearly not listening. Um, and uh, I, I would just recommend to people like you, Jason, seek out other options. I mean, just you might have to suck it up and watch things on VIX. In, in Spanish and watch the World Cup in, in tele, on Telemundo or find another way to watch it, unfortunately. I, I mean, that's just where we're at. Yep. I mean, I, that's not something I, I, I like saying. It's just the reality. Fox is not going to make any progressive changes to their coverage and the way they present the sport. That's going to please most of us at this point. Yeah. Yeah. And at this point, this has been like, what, 10, 10 years Roughly, because uh, actually somebody on social media said, uh, hey, Chris, why aren't you like hard on basically kind of cr- critically hard uh, criticizing ESPN because of the, the Wales-Ukraine um, match where you could tell that they were calling the game off the monitor, off a TV set yeah. rather than being in, in the stadium. They said that, okay, you're, you're so critical and hard on Fox Sports, but then ESPN you're less critical uh, on. 
And it's not that. It's just with Fox Sports, we've had we've had 10 years of criticism. ESPN, for the most part, is good, and they make mistakes from time to time. And when they make mistakes, we, we point them out. Yeah, we do point them out. And in fact, oftentimes, we're corresponding with them after we point them out, right? I mean, they, they genuinely want to improve. They genuinely want their production yeah, to be... Uh, there's, 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 a, there's a conversation there that we're not having with Fox, basically. Yeah, there's, there's a dialogue. Yeah, right. there's, there's a back and forth, like, hey, what, how can we improve? Like, you mean, what are your listeners or, or readers saying? Um down to the point of um, the the sound mix. You mean is is the sound mix for a game? Is it? Uh, you mean is the commentators coming in too loudly or too quietly? Or uh, and it's not it's not just ESPN. It's, it's a lot of broadcasters where we are in touch with them, and we share a lot of the feedback we get from you, the listeners. Um, they they don't always you mean listen to us, and they don't always kind of re- read uh, the comments. But I can tell you that a lot of them listen to this show. And a lot of them probably are nodding their heads right now, going, "Okay, yes, Chris, we listen to the show, and and you mean there's some really good stuff in here." So let me finish on this. Uh, even with as clunky as Turner's production was for Champions League, and how much people hated it, the same people who hate Fox uh, broadcast, there was a conversation you and I and and others with Turner about their coverage, and they genuinely wanted to improve. You know, it, it never quite happened, uh, but. Um, there was that conversation, which we can't have with Fox, which is why I'm hopeful with Turner coming back into the sport with the men's and women's national team package starting next year, that they're going to be a whole lot better because they, they do listen. They do, or at least they do want to hear our opinion. So uh, Jason and others, that's unfortunately kind of where we're at at Fox. I'm, I'm done complaining about them. I don't say very much on, on social media or on that, this show about them anymore. I just, I, wa- I watch matches on other channels if they're on another channel. Uh, yeah, on Fox at the same time. So, yeah, yeah, same with me too, uh, Kartik. In terms of Fox, it's like, what, what more can we say at this point? Because we've already said so much about how poor their coverage is for the most part. I, I mean, sometimes it, I, I'd say probably the best word to describe it would be mediocre. It's it's not, it's not good. It's not uh, terrible, but it's just it's it's flatline. It's just really. Mediocre, it, it, really, really it's average. A co- it is very clearly a cost-effective. It's a cost-controlled broadcast, I guess is what I should say. That that's really right. the, the bottom line. When you compare yeah. it to ESPN or NBC or CBS, it's the, they're not putting the same sort of costs into production uh, and and having crisp production that those other three networks are. Yeah, and Turner, I would give them credit for trying. Yeah, they definitely yeah. try, tried tried a lot of things. It didn't work out. And ultimately, it was, uh, I mean, in the minds of a lot of people, it was a disaster. I wouldn't say that, but they definitely were trying to make a better product. Fox is going through the motions, and, and they haven't changed really in years. It's, it's the same stuff. You could have tuned in a broadcast from like five, five years ago and watched it today. A lot of it's the same studio, the same graphics, the same, you mean, the same three people at the desk. Nothing's changed. The only time so it, they made a jump was, I would say, there was about an 18-month period when Rob, they, they poached Rob Stone from ESPN. Uh, they, uh, they refer- that was a long time yeah, ago. Yeah, 12 years ago now. Uh, I think it was. 2010. They had refreshed their graphics. Uh, they had gone from this very kind of cheap, uh, public access-looking uh, uh, presentation <laughs> of Fox Soccer to something that looked professional. It wasn't ESPN level. It wasn't NBC level, but it was, it, it was progress. And I think that that progress kind of stopped uh, around the time. Uh, 
around the time VN started, right? So 10, 2012. So about, it's about been about 10 years, I think, since Fox has really improved anything. Uh, obviously, they've got new I, I people would... that come in, Holden and and, uh, and Lawless have come, come over uh, from other networks. Uh, but in terms of production, which is, to me, the more serious issue than the commentary and the talent, the production is really bad, is in my opinion. The production hasn't think... changed in 10 years. I, I, I'd say like the the high point for them was the women's World Cup. Was it 2015 in uh, yeah in, in, in Canada, yeah, yeah, yeah. and that was much that was refreshing. That was better. Great set, great location, and then from then on, it's been very repetitive. It's been downhill. It's been just you know, I mean, it doesn't matter what tournament it is. It just feels the same for the most part. Uh, it's kind of plug and play. All right, listeners, if you have any feedback for us or any questions um, or uh, want to, you know, anything we've covered on the show in regards to TV streaming uh, production or kind of the World, P- pick, uh, World Cup picks that Kartik had with USA crashing out. No, we're crashing out. But but it's at this point in time, US has got a long way to go. We definitely need to find a striker. We can do a whole uh, other podcast on this one. But if you do have any questions, definitely get in touch with us. Uh, email is web at worldsoccertalk.com uh, and uh, facebook.com uh, slash worldsoccertalk. Twitter is uh, at worldsoccertalk. And then, of course, of course, you've got the, uh, the website worldsoccertalk.com. And in the navigation, you can click on podcasts and then just enter your comments in um, through the latest episode. Kartik, uh, heading into another weekend of soccer from around the world, another big weekend. Uh, what are you going to do and what should the listeners do? Enjoy your football. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.